What's up, everybody? It's been a verse, um, and we're back to the regular Torah reading cycle. Um, I'm Rabbi Josh. I am the Hill Director at Goucher. My name is Leah. I am Goucher Hill Co-President. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm Goucher Hill Shabbat Committee Co-Chair. All right. So we got an interesting one this week. We got two. We got like a heavy topic and then kind of a light topic, depending on how you see it. One is about Aaron and his sons. I won't give it away. No spoilers yet. And another one is about the kosher laws and birds. So let's get right into it, guys. Dun, dun, dun. Parshat Shemini. Okay. Um, I didn't do a summary here, but I think we can just jump right into it, if that's cool with you guys. All right. Ryan, you want to start us out here with this text? Jump right into the deep end. Sure. Now Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abu, uh, each took his fire pan, put fire in it, and laid incense on it. They offered before the Lord alien fire, which he had not enjoined upon them, and fire came forth from the Lord and consumed them. Thus they died at the instance of the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, through those near to me, I show myself holy and gain glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. <laughs> Moses is really out here trying to justify murder. Yeah. I mean, this is, I would say, one of the more problematic texts in the Torah, to me personally, um, because we've here got this instance of what's going on, right? They're like dedicating the temple and, okay, what did they do? They the just- Wrong fire. <laughs> Which is grounds for death, apparently. Obviously. Of course, logically. Right. Of course. This makes me think it's not the same, but there's this scene in Prince of Egypt where he's just turned the river to blood and the people are like, Pharaoh still has power over our lives. And Moses is like, yeah, he can take your lives and your children and your freedom and all these things, but he can never take your faith. Same vibes. Yeah. Same vibes. I just saw that scene last week too. Um, <laughs> Well, okay, so I don't think that many of the commentators are very comfortable with this text either, and they're trying to make some sense of it because it's real problematic, okay? And, and also, like, not only what happens to the sons, but what happens, what's Moses' reaction, as Ryan, as you said, you know? What's he really not very him? empathetic, yeah, how do you take that, Leah? I think Moses, I don't know. I kind of like, I don't know whether it's like, this is also what you kind of get to when you get to commentary, Moses not wanting to speak poorly of God um, and kind of not wanting to say that he disagreed with God's actions. Maybe he thought then he too would get eaten by fire, you know, um, but my guess is that's it because I can't imagine Moses being like, well, that's just what happens and like actually feeling that way. But I imagine it kind of being more of a like Moses not wanting to speak out against the actions of God. Mm. That is how I interpret that. Or Moses was just kind of a jerk. 
but I think Moses was a jerk. Maybe both. I think I think he developed a complex. Not gonna lie to you on that one. I'm convinced that he like he was like I'm the chosen one, and just ran with it. And now is like like we said, afraid to question God, which just I feel like he out of anybody should feel comfortable questioning God and challenging God. Yeah. Like, if anything, he should feel like a personal responsibility to like bring it up with God. Mm-hmm. And we know Moses, well, in the past with the golden calf, Moses was the one to be like, no, God, don't kill all these people. Um, and Moses was kind of like the only one who could do that. So kind of in that comparison, thinking back to that, it's interesting to be like in that scenario, Moses was like, no, you can't get rid of all these people. That's not okay. And then in this one, Moses is just like, well, it is what it is. Say la vie. But like, it's like Aaron, who isn't Aaron Moses' brother. Yeah. Like, I know they didn't really know each other growing up, but like still. Yeah. So those are his nephews. So like, that's not, you know, to minimize it in any way you would never do that to somebody who's just suffered a loss, right? You would never be like, oh, here's why that happened. Right? That's like one of the worst things that you could do to somebody. Be like, oh, here's why that person that was close. Like, that's horrible, right? You'd never do that. Um, and the commentators are also like, wait a second, Moses is like quoting God from some time in the past. When did God say this other thing? So here's where Rashi jumps in and says, this is what the Lord spoke in saying about Moses' words. Where had he, God spoken at this? In the statement, and I will be met by the children of Israel, and it, the tabernacle, shall be sanctified by my glory. Which is not, by the way, about people being sacrificed in any way, which is kind of what's happening here. Read not here, by my glory, bichvodi, but bimchubadi, through my honored ones. So that's the thing that rabbis do. They try and change the vowels under the Hebrew words to sort of change the meaning of the words when they want to like kind of finagle a little bit here which finagle, a great word that should be a Yiddish word, but I don't think it is Yiddish in origin. Anyway, Moses here said to Aaron, my brother Aaron, I knew that this house was to be sanctified by those who are beloved of the omnipresent God, and I thought it would be either through me or through thee. Now I see that these, thy sons who have died, are greater than me and than thee. This is That's the worst thing to say. <laughs> right, Rashi, who, by the way, he's quoting a, a, a Midrash that came way before him. But it kind of made it worse here, right? Because it's really justifying it as if these people have been made human sacrifices that somehow make God more glorified. And to say that that's a problem is maybe really obvious, but that's a problem, right? We are not a religion that glorifies human sacrifice. That's just not part of what we do. Also super contradictory to like something that had happened like the previous book, they were like celebrating like the death of the Egyptians and God's like, we don't celebrate death. We don't like that. I had to do it, but I didn't like it. How dare you celebrate? And then Moses is like, they had to die. It's because they're loved. Yeah. What can I, I say? It's like Rashi and the people in the Midrash kind of like not wanting God to look bad or not feeling comfortable with kind of what it's saying about the actions of God and how it impacted the people and kind of trying to manipulate it to make them more, both to make 
it look better to other people who may be reading it, but honestly, to kind of make themselves more comfortable with the events and not wanting to question, not wanting to feel like they are questioning God while they're reading it, kind of manipulating it to make them more comfortable with the events. Yeah. I wanted to look good. He shouldn't have done bad stuff. (laughs) So uh, I'll take the, uh, you know, documentary hypothesis viewpoint here for a second if this text leviticus is written by priestly people who are trying to prove that the priestly cult is supreme and that if you don't um sacrifice the way that they want you to sacrifice then bad things will happen to you this text has a a a purpose which is basically like don't f with the priests you know like we do our thing and if you don't do it the way we like it done to the letter dot the i's cross the t's you're going to get schmeist, you know, <laughs> like smite, smitten, smited. Um, so like it's, uh, you know, so you can see if, if, if you were to view this, not as like God's doing this, but also a human text, like, man, that's, uh, that's some gauntlet you're throwing down there, priests, you know, like, and you just did it to the sons of Aaron. So what's that all about? If God wanted attention and to be exalted, why not just do another burning bush scenario? That worked out well. Sort of a burning human. Yeah, that would have been nice, right? You could do something, some fireworks show. You didn't need to <laughs> kill people. Um, so like the, the other thing that this does, this text ends up becoming like a source. I'm going to skip the next little Rashi here because it pretty much makes the same point. It's a different Midrash, but makes a lot of the same point. But um it also, this text is also a place for like where we start to learn about like Jewish laws for mourning, which is an interesting and weird place to learn about them. Um, How convenient. Right, convenient, but maybe not so. But like, you know, so there's this other part about the last line is like Aaron was silent. You know, you would expect him to cry out. You would expect him to be perturbed in some way. So what is that all about? Why would the text, it could have just not said anything. Why did the text specifically say Aaron was silent, like by Yidom Aharon? Because so, he was mad and they wanted to, like, I don't know. Because Aaron might have, there's one response to the death of his sons, but then there's also the response to Moses kind of being a jerk in response, kind of being like, what do I even say to that? Like, right. what the heck? And I think that there's something real in Abravanel's um, little comment here, um, who says, his heart turned to lifeless stone. Domem, which is from Faidom, silent, can also mean mineral. And he did not weep and mourn like a bereaved father, nor did he accept Moses' consolation, for his soul had left him and he was speechless. Um, I mean, pretty reasonable. Um, yeah. Pretty reasonable. He just. I don't know if you witnessed it, but two of his sons were just like flight, like torched, flambéed, and, and like, oh, sorry, Ryan. And Moses is just like, well, God loved them. And the sons were like, try- they weren't actively trying to do something bad. Like with the golden calf, you have the people actually doing something wrong, but you have these people like, oh, here's this, let's do this different sacrifice. Like, nah no guess not kind of wish like i don't know i was partly kind of like aaron go like beat moses up or something i don't even know that would have been action scene in the torah that definitely would have been a um 
Another yeah. Cain and Abel moment. <laughs> Cain and Abel part two. Things up. Yeah. But it's part of also like showing, you know, Aaron's subservience in some way to Moses. Um, even though Aaron is like the high priest, still Moses is like the one who calls the shots. And it's a weird, it's a weird brother. Can you imagine that brother relationship? You know, it's a hard brother relationship to have. Um, Moses tells you all the instructions and your kids follow one of them wrong and they're gone. You know, like that's, it's a pretty, I could put some tension into that. You know, if you make a season of that on Netflix. All right. Any more about this? Want to jump into some Kashrut? Sure. A very abrupt ending to this. But I know. I, I, it's hard because there's, there's, you know what? Here's the thing. There's not really a satisfactory ending to this. No matter what way you do, there's a million commentaries on it. But, you know, do you justify it and be like, oh, it was okay because this? Do you argue with it? Do you make Moses the bad guy, God the bad guy, Aaron the bad guy, Nadav and Avihu the bad guys? Or is there just no bad guy? I'm putting this on Moses and God. Putting this on Moses and God. Moses was afraid to talk badly about God, I guess, but clearly Ryan and I aren't. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. You guys keeping it real. Um, All right. Well, there we go. We're moving on. Some kosher time. Okay, so you've probably heard some of the laws about what makes animals kosher. I brought a pretty long... uh, thing in here and we can stop midway through at a couple points because it talks about a couple of the different kosher sections about what animals are kosher and what animals are not kosher um leah i think you're up okay the lord spoke to moses and aaron i'm gonna speak to you about kosher rules now that i just killed your son sounds like a good transition saying to them speak to the israelite people thus these are the creatures that you may eat from among all the land animals any animal that has true hoofs with clefts through the hoofs and that chews cud, such you may eat. The following, however, of those that either chew the cud or have true hoofs, you shall not eat. The camel, although it chews the cud, it has no true hoofs. It is unclean for you. The damon, although it chews cud, it has no true, it has no true hoofs. It is unclean for you. The hare, although it chews the gut, it has no true hoofs, it is unclean for you. And the swine, although it has true hoofs, with the hoofs cleft through it, it does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their carcasses, they are unclean for you. Stop there. Okay, we're starting there. We're, okay, so that's the land animals thus far. The daman, by the way, I believe is the hyrax. If you want to know that animal, it's more, it's a Middle Eastern kind of animal. Um, that's actually more related, I think, genealogically to the elephant than rodents, although it looks more like a rodent. Anyhow, um, okay, so y'all know some animals, right? If you're around horses, you know that horses have hoofs, but they don't have a cleft. They don't have a cleft hoof, right? Do they chew their cud? Yeah. Yeah, right? So like they have multiple stomachs, they do all that fermenting in there. Go ahead, Ryan. Horses don't have multiple stomachs. They just have one that's the size of a rugby ball, but that wasn't what I was going to say. Aren't giraffes technically kosher? We just, like, can't find the right way to slaughter them? Yes. You're absolutely right. remember having this discussion. That, like, <laughs> by these laws, giraffes are kosher. 
we just haven't figured out how to like humane free slaughter them. I'm not recommending we find out and or do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what this is. Why is a question I'll ask. Why do you think these animals and not those animals? I've heard like a couple of different reasons as to why we keep kosher. The biggest one being like, oh, we want to stand out and be unique and whatever. Still doesn't make me stop missing bacon and ribs. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't. Um, I don't think there's ever going to be like a super satisfactory answer to this. Is to like why you can eat these things, but you can't eat these other things. I don't know. It's weird. Definitely. I think it's interesting how God just like gives this long, long list, but doesn't for most of it doesn't really give any explanation. Yes. So there's some, I think I'm going to cover this early on, like distinction between laws that are like logical and if this, then that, you know, or do this because I said so, because, you know, honor your father and mother or whatever it might be. But there are some that are just like, do what I say, I am the Lord, you know, and those are called chukim. Um, that means they're like basically like follow it kind of on, on faith. Uh, and a lot of the kosher laws fall into that category. Now, some later um, have tried to explain, well, these animals were seen as like the, the best kind of animal. Like this, there was like a, this sort of like normative animal on land that you should have. And then there's some that like are not basically, but it's, it's arbitrary, right? It's arbitrary to decide that this category of animal is kosher and this one is not. Happens that most of the animals that are kosher are domesticable and, you know, fairly common. Um, not a huge surprise from a practical perspective, right? Um, all right, let's go into the oceans. These you may eat of all that live in water, anything in water, whether in the sea or in the streams that has fin and scales, these you may eat. But anything in the seas or in the streams that has no fins and scales among all the swarming things of the water and among all all the other living creatures that are in the water, they are an abomination for you. And an abomination for you, they shall remain. You shall not eat their flesh and you shall abominate their carcasses. Everything in water that has no fins and scales shall be an abomination for you. All right, we'll stop there. There's a good insult to say to somebody, I will abominate your carcass. That's some very strong language. Um. Okay. All right. Unclean to abomination. Yeah. No gray area. The things in the other category, they God didn't say those were an abomination, right? It was just like, don't eat this. Um, I think you can't touch their carcasses, but it doesn't say abominate them. So yeah. So I guess you can't go have an octopus teacher, you know, (laughs) according to this. Anybody see that one? Maybe just me. Okay. I still haven't seen it. It's one of those on my, on my list of Netflix. Um, so, okay, so you can eat animals with, with fins and scales in the water. That includes most fish that you know as fish, but therefore does not include shark, for example, sword, swordfish, because like they actually lose their scales at some point during their, their time. And then, you know, all the more popular seafood like shrimp and oysters and clams and lobster. What am I missing here? Um, but yeah. 
Okay, so thus far with the sea animals, similar kind of thing. There's like a list. Okay, these ones are okay. These ones aren't okay. Again, fairly arbitrary. There's not a uh, rationale being shared in terms of this. And then we get to the birds, which here we go. This is a, a zoological treasure trove right here, folks. Ryan, you want to go for this one since Leah got the other ones? Sure. Uh, the thawing you shall abominate among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. Good Lord. The eagle, the vulture, and the black vulture. The kite, falcons of every variety, all varieties of raven. The ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawks of every variety. The little owl, the corm cormorant, and the great owl. The white owl, the pelican, and the bustard. The stork, herons of every variety, and the hoopoe, and the bat. Bat's not a bird but okay. Yeah. God um, didn't want anyone to get the coronavirus. I guess not. Uh, technically the word oaf, which we say is meaning bird actually means flying animal. So yeah, but you know, we know a bird is a mammal. They sort of put it in that category. So, so much for bats. Um, okay. Anything you notice among this versus the other categories? Doesn't say anything about robins or little songbirds. Yeah, it does not. Therefore, I guess you can eat them. That's a good question, right? Is everything that is not in these categories edible? You know, what about a uh, emu? You know? Well, I feel like it's safe to assume if it's because God doesn't really list any laws for this. It's just like not these ones. What yeah, about penguins? Safe to assume. There we go. Right. What about penguins? And what about, here's the big question, turkey, Why right? Because turkey is an American bird, right? So we're talking about a book, the Bible being written in the Middle East when the knowledge of the existence of North America and South America amongst the writers of the Bible did, was not there, right? So what about, or penguin is another good example. I don't know if anybody's eating penguin, I guess they're you know, protected for the most part right now, but Turkey is not. So Turkey, Turkey is kosher, but why would Turkey be kosher? Because Turkey's not listed on this thing. And so some people will say, by the way, that this means, oh, the birds that you can't eat are birds of prey. That's not entirely true, right? Because herons are in there. Not every heron is a prey. I mean, well, I guess the question is, what does a bird of prey mean, right? Can it eat fish? Can it eat frogs? Can it just not eat other birds or mammals? Um, sure, hawks and vultures and all of that stuff. But like the hoopoe, as far as I know, mostly eats bugs like songbirds. And that's a Middle Eastern kind of bird. And then you got the bat thrown in there too. So it doesn't totally hold this category. Yeah. Two things. One, are bugs kosher? How do, how do, how do people define kosher bugs if it's a thing? All right. So I actually skipped that part. That is later in this Torah portion. And uh, yeah strangely enough, there actually are a, there is a category of kosher bugs and it's basically a couple different kinds of locusts. Okay. You know, flashback to the plague of locusts. Some of them actually yeah. end up being at. Wait, I have a call back. So this is back to the animals of the sea. So dolphins wouldn't be kosher because they don't have scales. But they Correct. used the skin. Yeah, I was confused. I was like, they can build tents out of dolphins, but they can't eat them. That yeah. sounds very wasteful. 
if the you remember, tabernacle that, is that an was actually a dolphin fish, not a dolphin dolphin. That's <laughs> or at least according to some. I don't know, but you're right. There's probably some problems in scales. Right? Can you use a coast like an animal's a non-kosher animal skin for something, but not eat the animal? Probably not. You would think, That's right? Wasteful. Yeah. I have so many questions, and none of them will be answered. By the way, buffalo are kosher. It talks about how you can't touch the carcass of unkosher animals. So obviously then you wouldn't be able to use their skin for something. Ding, ding, ding. You can't touch them. Unless you use some like, I don't know, like, I don't even know. I think the only question that we all want answered at this point is what's a dolphin fish? Yeah, what's a dolphin <laughs> That's what I want to know. We can Google that one. That's, that's Googleable. Uh, Leah already looked up a, a daman in, in a did. picture here. I should I should share screen on that. Right. They're actually real cute animals. They um, are. No wonder we're not supposed to eat. Yeah, they are. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll come oh, up with this for a oh, second. Oh, mahi mahi, or common dolphin fish. There you go. And mahi mahi is Hebrew for what is it? What is it? So there you go. They didn't know it was kosher. Totally not a Hebrew word. I'm um, still going to pretend it's a real dolphin because I find that more entertaining. Yeah, so we're looking at pictures of a hyrax here. We can put that in the links for the episode. Um, so yeah, so maybe I'll come off the tech. We're, we're pretty much at time, but maybe we'll talk about turkey. But that's an interesting thing. You know, like in the end of the day, the rabbis made kosher what they wanted to make kosher in some ways in, the, in this case of the turkey because they kind of created some categories. And they basically said, you need an oral tradition that a bird is kosher in order for a bird to be kosher. In the end of the day, they kind of just kind of agreed that turkeys were kosher, but you could have agreed that like, you know, certain other American birds, like um, there was another Muscovy duck would be kosher and they don't end up being kosher. So birds are a really interesting one. I have a magic rule of bird kashrut that I think that our, the biblical authors were thinking of. And I think it is this. Basically, if you can't catch it or domesticate it, without expending a whole lot of energy, it's not kosher and don't bother. <laughs> what about pigs? Well, no, I'm just talking about the birds. Pigs oh. you can totally domesticate, but I think for the birds thinking about it, cause it's hard to keep birds, right? You need like a, I don't know what you need. You need a cage, a columbarium or something like that in order to keep your, keep your birds or a chicken coop or whatever it might be. Um, but for the most part, you know, but there actually are a lot more kosher birds than you might think that don't make it all the way into everybody's diet. But if you go to different Jewish cuisines, you can see like, you know, duck or um, dove or I don't know, you know, could be part of that. Anyway, um, that's what I got for this week. <laughs> Ending on a cold turkey note. And that's it. Um, next week, we'll have some more Leviticus for you. I'm sure it'll get interesting as it always does. And thank you for joining us. Any last notes? Interesting just means we're going to sh** on God more. Come come and listen. Ryan, watch your language. I oh, I beep, apologize. I had to beep you last week, Ryan. I might have to do it again. All oh, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can cut that off. I'm not that sorry, though. It's all good. It's all good. All right, everybody. It's thanks for- friendly podcast. Thanks for a fun That's time. It. As always, with Spinniverse, hey, we're college. You know, we can uh, mix it up.